Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. The search for a beautiful young Florida mom, Cassie Carley, has come to an end. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Listen to this. Cassie Carley, who's been missing now for about a week, um, we discovered her body while executing a search warrant in Alabama. It was in a uh, a uh, barn in a shallow grave. So it's not the ending that we wanted, obviously, but um, we're hoping to provide a little closure for the family. And also, as you know, as we reported earlier, the suspect is currently in jail in Maury County, Tennessee, on charges of tampering with evidence and giving false info reference missing persons investigation. Cassie's body has been found in a very, very unusual location. This is such a devastating blow to all of her family and friends desperate to find the missing mom after her taught girl sailor was found alive and well. You were just hearing Sheriff Bob Johnson from the San Rosa County Sheriff's Office. Now take a listen to our friends at WEAR-TV. Sheriff Bob Johnson said it best. This is obviously not the ending anyone wanted. In fact, I just spoke to a woman in the parking lot moments after that announcement. She tells me she's lived here for 40 years and can't believe something like this would happen. Earlier today at 2 p.m., the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office held a press conference where Sheriff Johnson says authorities found Cassie Carley's body in a shallow grave inside a barn while executing a search warrant in Alabama. Sheriff Johnson says since this is an ongoing investigation, he couldn't say exactly what led authorities to that property, but he did add Cassie's ex-boyfriend, Marcus Spanavello, has ties to it. Sheriff Johnson says he met with the family this morning to break the news. They're crushed, you know. I mean, it gives them some closure that they, they know where she's at now, but still, it's their daughter. I mean, you know, daughter and sister, and it is terrible. It's not something you look forward to do as a detective or as a sheriff. It's um, I think we have a great case, and I think he's either going to spend the rest of his life in prison or he's going to get the needle. In a shallow grave inside of a barn another state away in Alabama? You were just hearing more from the local sheriff, but now here are our friends at WVTM 13. For the family of Cassie Corley, a week of haunting unknowns has come to a devastating conclusion. She loved her community. Corley was last seen meeting her boyfriend Marcus Spanavello at this beachside restaurant. They were swapping custody of their four-year-old daughter. Six days later, Corley's body was found buried in this Springville barn, 289 miles away. Diane Fisher lives just up the road. I'm sorry that it happened. Um, it could happen in any community, and I don't, I'm not afraid. Uh, God's got this. You were just hearing uh, friends trying to sort out and make some type of peace with the murder of this young mom, Cassie Carley. But there will be no peace 
until there is justice in this case. Joining me in all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now, former felony prosecutor, now renowned defense attorney in multiple jurisdictions, Daryl Cohen joining us. And you can find him at ccealaw.com. Karen Stark, psychologist joining us from the Manhattan jurisdiction at karenstark.com. Lisa Daddio, former police lieutenant, New Haven Police, and now director for the Center for Advancing Policing, University of New Haven. Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the entire state of Florida, lecturer at University of Florida Medical School, Forensic Medicine, and the founder and host of the International Forensic Medicine Death Investigation Conference. But first, to CrimeOnline.com's investigative reporter, Dave Mack. Dave, thank you for being with us. I want to talk first about the discovery of this young mom's body in a shallow grave inside of a barn. What can you tell me about the shallow grave where Cassie Curley's body was found? Well, it was found in an area of Springville, Alabama, which is about 30 minutes from downtown Birmingham, north northeast, just off I-59. The area that it was found is a very rural area. There was a house about 150 yards away from the barn. That house is something that Marcus Spanavala had been working on for the last several weeks. That was the connection to that property. Hold on just a moment. You're giving me a memory of another case that we covered together, Dave Mack. And you also were on the case, Daryl Cohen. It was a case of a serial killer in Canada. And one guy, a young, young males, after the next, would go missing. Then the, they connected the dots and figured out they were all gay. Then one body was found in this family's backyard. And nobody could figure out. There was no connection between the family and the victim. And I think the, the people that lived in the home were elderly. I mean, they're not going out committing murder and burying the body in the backyard. Finally, Daryl Cohen, it was connected to the gardener. And cops started looking at other estates, yards in which he had worked and discovered multiple dead bodies all across the city. No connection to the homeowner, but connection to the worker, the gardener, the landscaper. See what I'm saying, Daryl Cohen? Nancy, you never know when out of the clear blue sky, if you look carefully what's going to happen. The gardener should not have been a suspect until You're the right. gardener was. And yeah, that's that, why you know what? And, and people look to lawyers to say something incredibly profound and full of legalese in Latin terms. But you're right, Daryl. And Daryl, I remember the first time I saw you in the Fulton County Courthouse, you were still prosecuting. And that, what you just said, is exactly the way you have to explain it to a jury. You never suspect a certain person until suddenly you do. Because the circumstances surrounding the crime don't always lend themselves to an apparent suspect. Guys, for those of you just joining us, the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office has made a very upsetting announcement. The body of Cassie Crawley 
this young mom, mom to four-year-old Sailor and her younger sister, Rayanne, is dead. Her remains found in a shallow grave inside a barn. To Karen Stark joining us, our renowned psychologist joining us out of Manhattan today. Karen, you and I have often marveled, not in a good way, at how people try to cover up bodies and why they feel the need to sometimes, for they'll leave the body out, but they'll cover the face with a blanket. Or I've told you about this case where a mom was killed in her own home and she was found lying naked in the bed, but the killer had put a wicker bathroom trash can over her head. It's just so bizarre to me. And in this case, the body was buried in a shallow grave inside a barn. I am so aware of killers doing that, Nancy, and it is extremely perplexing to people. But what it's about is the feeling that they don't want their victim to look at them. Even though the person is dead, they just have a very personal connection could be good, it could be bad, and they have this need to, sometimes they even put a pillow underneath the head of their victim. And in this case, being buried in a shallow grave in a barn is very indicative to me that there's absolutely no feeling at all. It's like, just get rid of her, stick her in a barn, stick her in a shallow grave, and really no attempt, which is surprising, to conceal the body. I mean, think about it, Karen Stark. I know you're a city girl, and you've probably never been on a working farm for very long. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but you just don't strike me as a farm girl. Um, (laughs) That's the truth. Karen, think about it. Burying her in a shallow grave, just throwing her body in there. And that's the contempt that he feels. Covering her up in a barn that is for animals that will poop and urinate on top of the body. I mean, that's so full of psychological implications. Look, I'm a trial lawyer. You're the shrink. But even I, uneducated in psychology or psychiatry, know there there are many meanings to whoever buried her body under cow excrement. Complete indifference, Nancy. Contempt. Contempt for the body. Absolutely, it could be a doll. Mm. Just toss it in that grave and cover it up. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, for those of you just joining us, this young mom, who I might add, I'm now learning, was living in fear of her ex has been found dead. I want you to hear um, from our friends at Crime Online describing the fear that Cassie had when she would make these handoffs of custody. Usually it's done in a public place. Okay, I remember one lawyer in the courthouse would go pick up his daughter at a McDonald's. And then would drop her off at a McDonald's. That was what their lawyers thought was best. Cassie was so afraid, she actually asked her father to bring guns, concealed weapons, to 
the handoffs of baby sailor. Listen to our friends at Crime Online. Rayanne Carley tells the son that just five months into Cassie Carley's pregnancy, she wanted out of the relationship. On a GoFundMe page, Carly wrote that Spanavello's abusive control and manipulation had escalated. The sister says that while Spanavello was not physically abusive, his erratic roller coaster emotions scared Cassie. Rayanne Carley says that despite all her fears, Cassie Carley was hopeful that the couple could co parent together and stay civilized. But an intense custody battle ensued. When Carly disappeared, her father, Andrew, received a text message purportedly to be from Cassie that the mom was staying at Marcus Spanavello's home that night. Neither the father nor Rayanne believed the text came from Cassie. Rayanne tells the son that Cassie Carly was so afraid of her ex that she asked her father to bring a gun for when the couple met for an exchange. Mm, 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 mm. Lisa Daddio, former police lieutenant, now the director and founder for the Center of Advanced Policing at University of New Haven's Forensic Science Department. Lisa, okay. Now, this is normally the kind of question I would ask. Daryl Cohen, remember how we would all sit around the table up in appeals and eat lunch and talk? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And you would breeze in and out, drop a couple of verbal bombs and leave. Yeah, yeah. We learn more from those discussions from those times that we just talked than we ever learned from any law book or ever learned from any case that we learned in law school, more than we ever learned from any case we watched in the courtroom or participated in. It was collective knowledge. You're so right. And how many times, like I would sit there as a new prosecutor and I would hear the greats in our office, Russ Parker, Harvey Moskowitz, goes on and on talking about, hey, (laughs) guess what just happened in court? And I would soak it all in, little knowing that one day almost the same identical things would happen to me when I would be trying cases. But how many times, Daryl, have we said, why are they so Stupid. I mean, a lot of criminals get away because they're not stupid. But the majority of them are just, they're just, they're just stupid. I mean, think about it, Daryl. You got Scott Peterson. With everywhere in the world he could dump Lacey and Connor, he dumps in the San Francisco Bay, where he, A, is spotted going to the marina on Christmas Eve in the rain, and B, his regular fishing hole. And here you've got this beautiful mother's body buried in a barn for animals near a house where he is doing work. I mean, think about it. Chris Watts, remember him? He murdered Shanann Watts and both of his children, uh, Celeste and Bella. And where did he dispose of their bodies? He went to his place of business, Anadarko Oil. And he horribly abused their bodies and left them there. Why are they so stupid? They go to a spot to which they are intimately connected. I don't think it's stupid. I mean, I think it it's stupid. Us. Lisa Daddio, thank you. I threw that to Daryl Cohen, but I'd much rather hear you. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't blame you. I would too, Lisa. Let's hear Lisa, and then Daryl will probably copy everything you just said. Okay, go ahead, Lisa. Absolutely, but I'm not going to give you any credit. Good. You don't have to. It's all right. Lisa, Um, why? It is stupid. Nancy, because you're thinking like a lawyer. 
Um, I think what happens with criminals, and, and it's great for law enforcement, is because they're making these judgment calls and, and they're handling things in such a way that it helps the South cases. And for those criminals who are smart, because you keep going back to being stupid, um, those are the cases that oftentimes become cold and we can't solve them because we can't find the body, right? Um, or we, you know, the body is in such a, a location that has no connection at all to anything. And this isn't a hundred percent of the time. We know that, but you know, we look for uh, our criminals to make these types of decisions to help us solve a case. Well, in I this know it helps case, us, but that doesn't mean it's not stupid. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it all comes down to the whole psychological part of it, right? There's panic, there's fear, there's this whole kind of oh my gosh, somebody's going to find me, and and you go somewhere that you know the ins and outs of a location, thinking that nobody's ever going to make the connection. Right, nobody's ever going to think of the parcel of land you're working on. Daryl Cohen, I have to disagree with Lisa Daddio. Stupid. Hey, I got to agree with her. I, I completely agree. And the stupidity is they don't. So think, you think it's brilliant? I think they're, I think Lisa's brilliant. And I think her knowledge is logical. And you take the two and put it together and you've got somebody that's impeccable. Okay, well, you say potato and I say potato. I think it's really stupid to dispose of a dead body somewhere near where you live or work or go fishing all the time. But uh, I guess uh, we can disagree. We can agree to disagree. But I hope to prove you wrong shortly. Let me go to Dr. Tim Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher, the medical examiner for the state of Florida at pathcaremed.com. Dr. Gallagher Cassie's body had been in this shallow grave for, oh gosh, what would you say, Dave Mack, from the time she went missing, March 27, 30 days has September, April, okay, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 1, um, 2, we've got a little over a week in a shallow grave in a barn, what would you expect to be the condition of the body, and will we be able to determine COD cause of death? I think we would be able to do that, Nancy. Being uh, buried in a shallow grave actually helps to preserve evidence. Uh, it slows down the decomposition of the body because it, the temperature of the body will remain cool throughout the entire uh, day. There will be no temperature spikes, which will accelerate decomposition. So six days in a well, shallow grave I mean, in, that, in that dry environment. Wait a minute. You're familiar <laughs> with uh, Springville, Alabama. It's also, I believe, on the panhandle. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave Mack, but I think it's on the panhandle. So the heat in that area, even no, in the barn, Nancy. what? Uh, Springville, Alabama is uh, north central Alabama. Oh, that's right. It's, you know, uh, it's near Birmingham? The, yeah, it's north of Birmingham, actually. Oh, well, then I'm completely wrong on the weather uh, my right. weather an analysis. You're right, Dr. Gallagher. It would be cool. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. It would, it would be cool. And what that will do is slow down the decomposition process, uh, thereby making facial identification very good, a very good possibility. But it will certainly allow fingerprint identification to be a reality. In addition, they said that they found uh, tattooing on her skin that was a, a very unique pattern. And all the circumstances fit. So um, 
you know, her being in the shallow grave most likely saved her from uh, the decomposition where they could not be identified and also predation by animals and insects, which would also speed up decomposition. So uh, being in the shallow grave actually helped the identification uh, more readily. Okay, that made perfect sense, Dr. Gallagher, and I'm hoping we're going to get a cause of death analysis. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. How did the whole thing start? Take a listen to Olivia Iverson, W-E-A-R-T-V. This is the woman, Cassie Carley. She was last seen on Sunday, Sunday night. We are in Navarre Beach. So right when you get off the bridge to the right, there's the boat ramp here. And we are told by a friend of hers that on Sunday, she was scheduled to meet up with the father of her daughter and to get her daughter exchange custody, um, as any of you with uh, children in that situation know how that works. They were supposed to meet here so she can get her daughter and was scheduled to go meet with her dad afterwards. Hours passed and she never showed up to her dad's house. Her dad was concerned, later received a text message saying that Cassie was having some sort of car and phone trouble. And then sometime later after that was when he had heard from the child's father saying that he thought she might be at the friend that I talked to's house, which that friend tells me is not true. You know, I find it really interesting uh, to you, Daryl Cohen, you and I have both dealt with domestic homicides on many occasions. Cassie Crawley was doing everything right. She was going to court to air her grievances. She was not fighting back and forth with her ex. She would meet him in public places. Um, But still, in the end, everything went horribly wrong. As a matter of fact, um, take a listen to our Cut C, our friends at Crime Online. The night Cassie Carley went to pick up her daughter, Sailor, Carly told her own dad that she would be right back. Ryan Carly tells Dateline that her sister was headed to Juana's, a local bar with a big parking lot and people using the boat ramp, a very public place. Ryan Carly says their father fell asleep, and when he woke up at 10.45 p.m., the pair were still not home. Calls to Cassie's phone went unanswered, but he did receive some text messages from Cassie's phone saying that she was having phone and car troubles. Rayanne Carley tells Dateline that the next day, when Cassie Carley was still not home, the father calls police. As it turned out, very much like in the case of Gabby Petito, Daryl Cohen, the texts were very unusual. So she's late. She's getting back to her dad's where she lives. She's very late. He wakes up at 1045 at night, realizes she's not there, checks his text, and there's They're saying something like her cell phone and her car had trouble at the same time. Now, how likely is that? Then he hears from the ex and the ex says she asked to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere near Destin. And you and I know from being in Destin so often, there are miles and miles of nothing but ocean and sand dune. 
And he expects us to believe that this young mom wanted to be dropped off at night in the middle of nowhere. And the dad is getting these texts. He knows immediately something's wrong. That's what happened in Gabby Petito. Her mother got a text that was off kilter. And she, Gabby, referred to her grandfather, I think, as Tom. That would be like me calling my mother Elizabeth. I would never do that. I call her mom or mother. So there's something in the way people write texts, when they write, their behavior, that the people that love them can immediately identify, this is not her text. Nancy, this is wonderful. And I say it's wonderful. It's horrible that she was killed. And I can assure you that we're convicting this man before he's terribly been arrested. He is going to be arrested. He is going to be tried. And I hope, as you do, that he gets the death penalty. I believe in coincidences every once in a blue moon, but one coincidence, two coincidences, doesn't work, doesn't fly. It just doesn't work. And that's why we are so delighted when people who commit crimes, for the most part, they're dumb and they well, help you, well, Wait, wait, stop. You just went round and round with me and you and Lisa Daddio ganged up on me telling me that criminals <laughs> are not stupid. And you know I never what? said that. I said she Did was she brilliant. Did, Did he not say that? He said Lisa nope. Daddio. You said Lisa Daddio was correct, and she had just yeah. said criminals are not stupid. So the two of you, I mean, I'm going to let you just sit and stew together in the same pot in your own juices because this guy has made one horrible mistake after the next. Uh, guys, take a listen to our cut 12. This is Lacey Beasley at our friend's. Fox 10. Carly was last seen at Juana's Pagoda's Grill in Navarre Sunday, meeting Marcus Bonavello during a custody exchange of their four-year-old daughter. According to investigators, he was the last person to make contact with her. And six days later, he's now been arrested on charges related to her disappearance. Wednesday, Spanavello was tracked down in Birmingham with their daughter. Investigators drove up to interrogate him, though Sheriff Johnson did not reveal what was said. And three days since that interrogation, Spanavello has today been arrested by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigators and Highway Patrol in Lebanon, Tennessee, charged with tampering with evidence, giving false information concerning a missing person and destruction of evidence. Okay, we're hearing about destruction of evidence. What could that possibly mean? I want you to take a listen to this. Regarding the previous charges, can you get it all into what evidence he tampered with and what evidence he might have destroyed? Um, yeah, it was in reference to the victim's phone. He took her phone and basically got rid of it. So, Were you guys able to ever locate the phone? Yes. Yes, okay. Where? Um, we're not going to go into that one. And how did he lie to investigators? What did he lie about? Um... He lied a couple of times, actually, in, d in different scenarios. But uh, what was the exact same thing? Uh, I think we just uncovered clear and convincing evidence that the information he gave us was materially false. Yeah. Um, that, that we were able to confirm. Okay. Dave Mack joining me from Crime Online. Dave, we have just gone through the Patrick Frazee case. Remember him? Yes. Um, he murdered the mother of his little girl, and then he enlisted the help of his lover, the rodeo queen. Literally, she was a rodeo queen. Right. And 
Together, the two of them got rid of the body, I believe in a burn pit, and disposed of her cell phone. And it was several states away. But they could track the pings. So when you get rid of a cell phone or think you get rid of it, you better be careful how you do it because it can be tracked. Isn't that what happened there? They tracked the phone several states away that just happened to be the uh, direction that the girlfriend was traveling and figured out where it had been disposed. Same thing here. Exactly. You're right about it, Patrick Frazee. I remember as we covered that case, how they were able to use those cell phone pings to basically corroborate the evidence they had against the stories they were being told. Now, in this particular case, because it's an ongoing investigation, we really have to read between the lines. For them to charge him with uh, the tampering, and in this case, they say he destroyed the uh, the phone, you know, the claims from the family is that, you know, Spanavella was sending text messages from her phone to her father. And that's why he's trying to get rid of that thing, because that would actually prove that he had her phone and was trying to represent himself as her to stall the investigation or stall looking for her. And Daryl Cohen, you hear what Dave Mack is saying, and he's correct. And you know what they're going to do. Santa Rosa County Sheriff's, not that you need my help, but if you haven't thought of it, they need to track his phone and her phone and see them traveling together to the location where her phone was discarded. That's what they should do. And that way they'll pin the destruction or the abandonment of her phone to him. And that leads me to my final question, ergo, in argument, to you, Daryl Cohen. If, in fact, he got rid of her cell phone, what is one innocent reason he would get rid of Carly's cell phone other than he killed her? Give me one reason. Nancy, if I could find one reason on this earth, I would tell you he got rid of her cell phone because in his brilliance, in his own mind, by disposing of the cell phone, they would not follow him. But his own mind wasn't brilliant. He just thought it was. Or Lisa Daddio, let's analyze this. Suzanne Morphew, husband Barry Morphew, in the hours leading up to her, Suzanne's disappearance, Barry Morphew turned off his cell phone, or did he put it in airplane mode, Jack? Well, either one. I mean, Lisa, when's the last time you put your phone in airplane mode? Last time I did it, I was on a plane. Exactly, me too. Unless you're trying to hide something. So if your phone is not traveling along with Carly's phone before you discard of it, if you have your phone turned off during that period of time, or on airplane mode, to me, that's just as damning as traveling along with her phone. Well, you know as well as I do, it becomes circumstantial at that point. Um, and there Why are be... you saying that to me? I don't <laughs> care. Why are you saying that? Like there's something wrong with circumstantial evidence. You're going to pit it out, spit it out of your mouth? The law is in black and white, codified in the Georgia and every other criminal code in this country. That circumstantial evidence is as powerful as direct evidence, such as an eyewitness or DNA or a fingerprint. So why are you saying, oh, but it's circumstantial? Why are you telling me that? I'm I'm saying it because as what's currently happening in this country is 
circumstantial cases that used to be able to get adjudicated and convictions found are few and far between now. Well, I don't know what you're talking about because I find the opposite. I find circumstantial evidence to be riveting for juries. And, I mean, Daryl Cohen, you and Lisa Daddio, you're like the devil's league today. What has happened to you? How many cases did you prove with circumstantial evidence, Cohen, really? No, Nancy, look, we used to use that in the DA's office, and the argument was... Used to? We still use it. Went to bed last night. There's no snow on the ground. Woke up. There was snow on the ground. How did it get there? Gee, I wonder what happened. It snowed. Well, you you mentioned Scott Peterson. I mean... Thank you, Karen. Throw me a bone here for Pete's sake. It's, but it's true. I mean, criminals, especially when the ones that are caught, they make stupid mistakes. And all you have to do if someone's on the lam and hiding is keep track of their families and eventually you're going to get a phone call home because there's that instinct to go where the places that you know, to be in touch with the people that you know. And that's circumstantial evidence. Okay, I've got another idea. Something you said just just gave me another idea, Karen Stark. Um, Another thing they could do, Dave Mack, in addition to determining whether his phone, the ex, the last one to see her, then she goes missing, but he has the baby, and the baby, Sailor, is alive. Another thing they could do is look at his nav navigation system in his vehicle and determine was it traveling along the same trajectory, the same path as her cell phone. That might be another way they could prove that he was with her cell phone at the time it was discarded. What about that thought? Actually, Nancy, it's interesting that, you know, the police um, were giving us very little information and still continue that because it's an ongoing investigation. But something that we've been able to put together is when police from Santa Rosa County, Florida, went to Birmingham, Alabama to mm-hmm. talk to Marcus Spanavello. That's when they they already knew certain things happened. They had already seen these texts that Spanavello had sent to her family members. And so they knew And he, I guess, thought if he destroys the phone, they won't be able to get these messages or something. Because once they talked to him, they talked with Sailor. And they were able to realize that he's not he's not helping. He's actually lying. He told them things in that first interview that they already knew were untrue. So immediately they started focusing on him and where he had been. That's how they located that he actually was working in Springville, Alabama. Um, he was apparently contracting for a, a audiovisual company there. Mm-hmm. They found that he was working on this house. Mm-hmm. That's how they got the warrant. They were able to track it all back because they were trying to find that phone. That's why I love it when defendants insist on talking. Because even if they're not uh, spouting an outright lie, everything they say is going to be dissected and parsed. And there will be lies in it. Okay, you were just hearing our friend Dave Matt from Crime Online describing that cops already knew the sheriffs in Santa Rosa County already knew a lot. And as this guy kept talking, Spanavello, they were just shaking their heads because they knew he was spouting lies. So how is he connected to this location where this young mom's body's found in a shallow grave underneath underneath the cow poop? Take a listen to our cut 15, our friends at WVTM 13.
So what is Spainavelo's connection to the property where Carly's body was found? We tracked down the property's owner. He tells us that Spainavelo was helping him renovate this home, which is only about 150 yards away from the barn where Carly's body was buried. Spainavello was arrested southwest of Nashville over the weekend. He faces charges of destroying Carly's phone and lying to investigators at this point. But the sheriff's office says those charges could be upgraded. We hate it that Cassie has passed away, but it's good to get closure for the family and it's good to keep this dirtbag in jail where he belongs. Carly's daughter was found safe. Her family looks forward to reuniting with her and honoring her mom's life. Our main focus is just going to give her a beautiful celebration and get safe back home with us. You are hearing statements from the sheriff, and uh, you're also hearing the ex being called a dirtbag. And as you may guess, he's being a complete jackass from beginning to end. Take a listen to reporter Shelby Myers, our cut 17 from our friends at Fox 10. I can tell you this, he was totally uncooperative. He never cooperated at at all with us. Um, And that goes a long way. I mean, you think about it, it's it's your baby's mother and she's missing and you're not going to cooperate with authorities. That's kind of telltale. He is facing charges of allegedly tampering with Carly's cell phone and lying to investigators about her disappearance. Spanavello choking up while in court, explaining to a judge just why he's fighting extradition. I'm just trying to get to make sure that my daughter is taken care of with the people that um, that I'm leaving her with. In the meantime, Rayanne Carly says she's fighting for custody of her sister's four-year-old daughter, adding that Carly's legacy will live on through Sailor. She will shine through Sailor. That is the one good thing we are looking forward to. We will always have a piece of Cassie with Sailor. Well, they're being a lot more altruistic than I could be in those circumstances. Talk about circumstances. To you, Dave Mack joining us, CrimeOnline.com. I do not believe it's just a coincidence that just before Cassie goes missing uh, at a drop-off of her little daughter, Sailor, he was hit, the ex was hit with about a $5,000 bill for expenses relating to custody, attorney's fees, and so forth. And then suddenly, she goes missing and she's dead. When he's forced to pay out thousands of dollars. You know, Nancy, it's uh, shocking when you look back at the history of the family. You mentioned the $5,900 that uh, Spanavello was hit with to cover uh, Cassie Carley's attorney fees. Mm-hmm. Don't you know that burned him up, having to pay her attorney's fees and losing the court battle as well? Woo. The thing that, you know, Nancy, over and over, this guy kept taking her to court. He called the police. He called CPS. He did everything he could to make her life miserable and costing her thousands of dollars. That's why Rayanne, her younger sister, actually started a GoFundMe to help Carly, have Cassie raise money to hire a decent attorney to fight this guy. About $6,000, some reports, five, but I think you're right, $5,900 he was for, uh, ordered to pay. But rather than fork over, suddenly Cassie Carley goes missing. And as you heard, reporter Shelby Myers and Sheriff Bob Johnson, he absolutely is not cooperating. 
And the few things he has been saying, according to reports, are lies. Um, Now we're looking at the process, Daryl Cohen, of extradition. Um, Take a listen to our Cut 16, our friends at Fox 10. Are you willing to waive extradition? Not at this moment. More now on the man at the center of a murder investigation. Marcus Spanavello not quite ready to leave Tennessee and face the music in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Deputies say he was the last person to see Cassie Carly alive during a custody exchange of their daughter in Navarre Beach. And today in court, Spanavello getting emotional as he talked about that little girl. Are you willing to waive extradition? Marcus Spanavello will spend at least nine more days in a Tennessee jail. Spanavello was picked up there on Saturday during a traffic stop. Investigators say he was the last person to see Cassie Carly alive. The old traffic stop maneuver. Just like Timothy McVeigh, the OK City bomber. They pulled him over on a traffic stop, too. Um, Daryl Cohen, forget about the traffic stop. Extradition. Why fight extradition? Extradition is not really a fact-finding hearing. You can do one in about five minutes. All you have is a letter from the governor in the extraditing state, which is Florida. You can get one of those overnight. It can be faxed or emailed over. And all you ask the defendant is, are you Marcus Spanavello? If they won't answer, you have to do a fingerprint. But if they are, if he says, yes, I'm Marcus Spanavello, and you have the letter from the governor in the other state, bam, that's the end of the hearing. Nancy, it's almost laughable. Whoever is advising this guy is not doing the right job Mm-mm. if he's getting advice. Because these people think, well, I'm not going to fight extradition. I'm fighting extradition. He's still going to go. It's just a question of whether he goes today, tomorrow, or next month. You're going, and you're just irritating everyone involved because it's simply a matter of, are you Daryl Cohen? And even if you won't answer, I would have a fingerprint to match you up to being Daryl Cohen. And you'd be sent post haste to whoever wants you. Because I guarantee you, they do not want him in Tennessee or Alabama. He needs to go back to Florida and start getting ready for trial. Dave Mack, any word on bond? As we sit right now, they have not set bond. They're waiting on the results of the autopsy, which we should have in the coming days. Do you think they'll do the autopsy, Dr. Gallagher, in Alabama, where she is found, or in Florida, where the trial will be? Uh, They'll do the autopsy in Alabama. Typically, the laws go that wherever the body is found, uh, that's the jurisdiction that will do the autopsy there. And they have an excellent crew in Birmingham. Um, They're going to do a fine job, and it's going to be a very convincing uh, presentation at the trial. We wait as justice unfolds. And there's no better place for Marcus Spanavello to be than behind bars. Oh, except for having dinner with Satan when he goes to hell. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend.